Thank you, praise team. It is well with my soul. Something we can only say because of the gospel and because of what Christ has done for us. Even if there's a tropical storm coming through, no matter what storms of life we face, because of Christ, we can say it is well with my soul. And I hope if nothing else from this morning, you come away encouraged with that thought that it is, can be well with our soul. No matter what's happened this week, no matter what's happening today or this week coming up, because of God's grace and because of the gospel, we can say it is well with my soul. Well, I'm thankful you're here this morning on a stormy morning. I'm glad you braved the elements and got out. We are so grateful we get to gather together and proclaim the greatness of our Lord and sing His praises and to study His Word. I'm just thankful for the privilege we have of corporate worship and that we are able to do that this morning. I also want to say thank you to so many of you who last week met in the homes of church leaders to talk about your response to what we've been talking about with biblical community. I am blown away by the response of it. About two-thirds of our members met in homes and small groups of leaders last Sunday and Monday to share with us how God is speaking to you through His Word and how you think God is leading us as a church. And I'm just encouraged, even seeing the initial reports of what's coming in from the leaders you met with, I am just really encouraged. I just want to ask you and plead with you to please be praying for us. The elder team here is very serious about taking that. We don't have some hidden strategy that we're going to unveil now that you met with us. Say, here it is. Like, we really are seeking the Lord and taking what you've said and taking it seriously as we go to the Lord in prayer now and say, okay, Lord, this is how you've spoken to the body through your word. Now show us how to lead out in that. So I really ask you to please pray for us as we shape where we're going with that. And this is our fifth and final week of our study on what is biblical community. Next Sunday, we're going to jump back into the Gospel of John. And so if you want to start reading ahead, we'll be back into John with John chapter 11. We start our 32nd sermon in the Gospel of John next Sunday morning with John 11. So I hope you'll read ahead. I'm excited to get back into it. We're really thankful for these five weeks we've had to pause from John and to talk about biblical community. This is so important for how we share life as believers, how the Gospel changes how we treat one another. And as we come to this morning, it's going to be a little bit different because we're going to look at not just one text like we normally do, but a number of scriptures. So we look at the issue of leadership in Christian community. Now, when you think of leadership, what comes to mind? When you think of what's typically held up as leadership, what comes to mind? You think of the CEO who's very driven and shapes everything, and the whole company has to follow his personality, and it's my way or the highway, and either you get on board or you get fired. Is that you know, kind of where our minds go with leadership? Or did our minds go to that coach, the football coach, this football season, who's high pressure, yells at his players and pushes them and pressures them to make them do what he wants them to do, to get on board with the game plan on that, a very domineering type figure? Or do you think of the political figure as a leader who's driven by his own interests and who stands up and can talk very eloquently, but behind is this hidden agenda that he's using and you really have trouble trusting? When you think of leadership, what comes to mind? Because in all those instances I just mentioned, none of that is God's plan for leadership in the church. None of that is God's will for how leadership should work in the church. In fact, if you think about the last four weeks, what we've looked at, if you think about the fact that God created us to be a people, and God gave us gifts to use to serve one another in community, and God gave us this word that we might speak it to one another, if you think about all that we talked about, everything has been about community, everything has been about shared life, wouldn't you expect the model of leadership that God gives to the church to also be all about community and shared responsibility and shared life and not a domineering CEO model? In fact, that is what we see in Scripture. So this morning, as we look at several different texts, I want us to see one main idea to bring it all together. That's simply this. God has given a community of servant leaders to lead the church community. God has given us a community of servant leaders to lead the church community. Because I want us to take this apart and think through this, because God has established in the church not just one single leader to be the CEO, the coach. He's established a community, a plurality of leaders to together lead the church Together in that, there's leaders who are serving, not seeking to advance agendas or self, but they're servant leaders. And so God has given us a community of servant leaders to lead the church community. 
Now, as we think about this, I want to begin with the question of why is this important for me to understand? Why is it important for you to understand? If you're not a deacon or elder, what is the significance of this? Well, there's several reasons why this is important for all of us. Number one, the church is a body. And what happens among the leadership affects everyone, and what happens among the body affects the leadership. We are all connected by God's design. First Peter 2, we are a people. And so what happens among our deacons and elders affects you. Second of all, the leadership of the church needs you in their lives. So often in the church world, the leaders try to create community, but they themselves are outside of the community. And that is not God's will. The leaders are just as much a part of community, side by side, walking alongside with you. And we all need you in our lives as well. And so as we talk about leadership this morning and the role of elders and deacons in the church, we need everyone to pay attention to this because we need you to hold us accountable. We need you to shepherd us as well and be involved in our lives. And finally, you need to know this because you pick the leaders. This is your job as a church. We are a congregationally led church. And so from hiring me to picking elders to selecting deacons as we begin the deacon election process here this morning for the next few weeks, ultimately we trust the Lord's providence over this congregation as you pick the leaders. And so we want to present this to you so you understand from the scriptures, and I better understand from the scriptures, what God wants among our leadership to help us prayerfully seek the Lord's will for us. So all that said, this morning we'll see that God has given a community of servant leaders to lead the church community. We'll turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start with just one verse there this morning, and we're going to jump to several other texts. But as you turn to Philippians 1, I want to begin with the question of who are the servant leaders God has given to the church? What is this community of leaders that God has established? Again, God hasn't given a CEO to the church. He hasn't given a coach to the church. He hasn't given a president to the church. He's given a community of leaders. And who is this community of leaders? Well, as you get to Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy are obviously writing to the people at Philippi here. They're writing around 62 AD, and they specifically in their greeting address two groups of leaders and the church. And as we get to this one sentence, we're only going to make it through this first verse before we move on to another text, but there's a lot in this one verse about the role of leaders in the church. So look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now, four things I want you to see from this one little verse here that are very important as we think about leadership in Christian community. First of all, the structure of church leadership is not anything new. This is something God has established a long, long, long time ago. What we're doing in terms of having elders and deacons in the church is not something that we decided because, man, this is really pragmatic and it works well in our American context. Now, where did it come from? It came from what we see throughout the Scripture. When Paul wrote this to the people at Philippi, he wrote this 1,955 years ago. Okay? Let that sink in. This letter we're reading, written to the people of Philippi, was written 1,955 years ago. And 1,955 years ago, he addresses the overseers and the deacons in that. And that's just as relevant today as it was then. So church leadership is not something new. It's something that God has established from the beginning. Second of all, from this verse, I want you to see, God has given two distinct groups of leaders. This community of leaders is represented with two distinct groups who serve in different ways. And they are, as you see here, the deacons and the overseers. What's this word, overseers? Well, in the New Testament, it gets called different things in different places. Sometimes they're called overseers. Sometimes they're called pastors. Sometimes they're called bishops. And sometimes they're called elders. And those are all one in the same office. If you hear us talk about elders, overseers, bishops, or pastors, it is one in the same. Why the different terms? Simply because they speak more to the function of how the leaders serve in that. But realize it's speaking of one office. And that's why even here at Gatewell, you'll hear me sometimes talk about our elder team is working on things or our pastoral team is working on things or the pastoral leadership team. We don't have an elder team and a pastoral team different. We are one in the same and we're just simply going by both of those names on that just as you see throughout 
the scripture on that. So the church leadership structure is not new. God gave it to us. Second of all, there's two groups of leaders in this community, and that is the overseers or elders and the deacons. And then number three, realize that the leaders are part of the community they serve. This is really important. The leaders are part of the community they serve. Notice this little word in verse 1 here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And don't miss the word with there. The overseers and deacons, the elders and deacons are not above the community. They're not outside of the community. They're not in a different city overseeing the church. The elders and deacons are with the people. They are what we already saw in the other texts we looked at. They're shared in life together in this. And that's very important for us. And then fourth of all, I want you to see that leaders are not more valuable than the rest of the church. We live in a culture that that elevates the leadership, that idolizes political figures and entertainment leaders and presidents of companies and CEOs and all these type things, especially coaches as we think about the fall season we're in. That's not true in the life of the church. Everyone has equal value and equal worth before the Lord. Notice when Paul and Timothy write to the people at Philippi, he speaks to them all, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. He doesn't start with the elders and the deacons. He speaks to all of the saints And he highlights the fact they are with the elders, the overseers, and the deacons. Friends, this is so important because in God's eyes, we all have equal value to the church. We all have equal worth before the Lord. In fact, this is so important. I want you to turn now back to 1 Corinthians 12. I want you to see this in another place. Get your fingers ready. We're going to jump around a good bit this morning. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to realize how God sees us all together in the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is now writing to the people in Corinth. This is about 7 to 10 years before what we were just reading and Philippians, as you come to 1 Corinthians 12, you get to a text that perhaps you best know for being a text about spiritual gifts. But in this, he gives us insight into body life and how we function together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 4 with me. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Friends, every believer is given a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts for the common good. Everyone who's a follower of Christ at Gateway has been given by God gifts for the good of the body. That means every single believer here in the body is important. That obviously includes the elders and the deacons, but that includes everyone here who's a follower of Christ. You're loved by God, you've been given gifts, and you have a role to play. And friends, when leaders understand that truth, it changes everything. If a leader understands that everyone in the body has been gifted by God for service, when a leader understands everyone in the body is equally loved by God, that removes the tendency to be domineering. That removes the tendency to lord over other people. It removes the tendency to see oneself as more important than everyone else, and it allows us to see everyone as image bearers of God. And that is a foundation that enables church leaders to be servant leaders, not selfish leaders. You know, in fact, it sounds a lot like Romans 12. But we've already talked about a few weeks ago that we're to use what God has given us to serve one another. In fact, that is the model for all the church, for the leaders and the people alike. If that's the case, what's different about leaders? If we're all to be serving one another and we're all to have spiritual gifts, why then are there leaders in the church? What is the point of that? Well, jump down to verse 18 in 1 Corinthians 12 here. Verse 18, Paul says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Why are there certain groups? Why are there deacons and elders in the church? Because God in his sovereign wisdom arranged the church this way with particular groups of people in the community who have particular gifts to help lead and shape the whole 
community. Not to lord over, but to be a servant leader. God has put a community of servant leaders in the church to lead it. So how do these servant leaders lead? Well, that's where I want us to turn next. How do the deacons lead? How do the elders lead? We're going to look at a different text on these as well. So we'll start with the role of the elder. What what has God done in distinguishing the elders in the church, the overseers, the bishops, the pastors, and what role do they function? We'll go to 1 Peter chapter 5 now. So go back the other way now in your copy of God's Word. Get your fingers ready. We're still moving some more. So 1 Peter chapter 5. And as we look at the role of the elder, the role of the, the pastor, the role of the overseer in the Scripture... When you realize that here Paul is addressing the elders directly. Sorry, not Paul. Peter's addressing the elders directly. He's charging them. He's exhorting them here. And he's going to, in doing so, he's going to focus on one of their main tasks. And in fact, as we'll see here, there's two different tasks that God has given the elders in the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's what he's exhorting them to do. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. What are the elders of Gateway and the elders of any church called to do? First and foremost, they're called to shepherd. They're called to shepherd the body. God's people are often described as sheep. And if you go on down in the next verse, in verse 4, it describes Jesus as the chief shepherd. So what is, what is God doing here? Jesus, the chief shepherd, is establishing under him under shepherds. Not to lead as they want to lead, but to be people under him. His ambassadors, his under shepherds who work under him to lead his people, to shepherd his people. In fact, where we get the English word pastor from is a derivative of the Latin word to shepherd. So the English word pastor just is a Latin word for shepherd, basically, translated. And so youth particularly, if you don't want to call Drew Pastor Drew, you can start calling him Shepherd Drew, and that's an appropriate translation of what you're doing. I think you'd have some fun with that on your camping trip next weekend with Shepherd Drew there. But that's the imagery of the scripture here, is that we're shepherds, as pastors, elders are shepherds of the body. And think for just a minute, what does a shepherd do? If you're out in the field and you're taking care of animals, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd feeds the flock. He waters them. He provides for them. A shepherd protects the flock from danger. A shepherd directs where they move together to keep them together. And a shepherd knows the sheep on a personal level. And friends, that is the image that God in His sovereign plan has given to the church. This is what leadership looks like in the church. It looks like shepherding. And what does that look like in the church? How do the elders, the overseers, the pastors, how does that group, that community shepherd? Well, they feed believers the Word of God. They feed them the Word of God. That's teaching. And so often we think of teaching in the church, we think of like preaching or the guy behind the pulpit or the guy behind the lectern in a Sunday school class. But friends, this is any teaching of the Word of God. This can be one-on-one discipleship, one-on-one counseling, small groups, meeting at Chick-fil-A or Starbucks and just talking about the Word of God and how it changed our life. This is teaching the Word of God, sharing the Word of God to help one another. And elders feed people the Word of God because they want people to have joy and be satisfied in God and in God alone. What else do elders do? Shepherds do. Shepherding is a warning of danger. Just as a, a shepherd out in the field, if he sees a wolf coming, he's going to do all he can to protect the sheep. So do the elders. They shepherd the flock. They shepherd the body by protecting the flock from the dangers. Where the two dangers? Sin. In any of our lives, that's why going back to 1 Thessalonians 2 a few weeks ago, we speak God's word to each other. That's one of the roles of the elders, to warn of sin in each other's heart. But it's also for us to, to, to speak of wrong teaching and wrong thinking. Friends, we all have patterns of wrong thinking in our life. And one of the job of the elders is to help speak God's word, to help shepherd us to understand all of our patterns of wrong thinking. And we need you to do that to us as 
well on that. And why? Because we want God's best. What else do, do shepherds do? They direct the flock. They get the flock moving together in the same direction. And that's what the elders of a church are to do. They're to look at the giftings of the body and see, because it's not an action. God has put together the people he's put together for such a time as this. And the elders look at the spiritual gifts of the flock and say, where is God moving us? And they take that and they seek the Lord in prayer and say, okay, Lord, we're your under-shepherds. Where do you want to move this flock? That's the role of a shepherd. Why do they do that? Because they want God's will for, for everyone in the church. They want God's will for the church. And then what else do shepherds do? Shepherds know their sheep by name. They know them by name. They're in their lives. And that's one of the callings of an elder, of a shepherd in the church. And I wish you all could listen in on Wednesday mornings when our elder team meets to hear how they pray for you guys as we pray systematically over the whole church role. It, it, would, it would bless you to hear that. But realize these shepherds do it together, not alone. And friends, that is so very different from a traditional church administrative board. This is what God has called the leaders of the church to do. The elder part of the leadership team of the church is to shepherd the people. But there's a second part of what that shepherding looks like, and that's in the book of Ephesians. So go back the other direction now for just a minute. <laughs> for Ephesians chapter 4. We're not going to spend long here, but this is important in thinking of the role of the elders. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. This is coming to the role of the elders, and it's a, spe- a specific part of their teaching in relationship with the people. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. That's the same office we're talking about right now, the overseers, bishops, pastors, elders, teachers, son, one office. God gave the pastors and teachers, why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Friends, one of the jobs of the pastors, the elders of the church, is to not just do all the ministry themselves, but to equip everyone in the body to be using their gifts to be doing ministry for building up the body of Christ. And as the elders get into your lives and know you and shepherd you, they're better able to know how God is leading you so that they can equip you to do this. So the role of the elders is shepherding and equipping. If you want to simplify it to two things, that's the job of the elders and community. God has distinctively gifted and called elders, pastors, shepherds, whatever you want to call them, to do equipping and to do shepherding. What about the role of deacons? Now go further back to the left. Let's go back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. What is the role of deacons in the church? Deacons and elders together form a community of servant leaders in the church. Deacons have an incredibly important calling in the church. It's equally valuable, equally important as the role of elders, but it's different. It is a different calling here. As you get to Acts chapter 6, as we look at this, realize the word deacon does not appear here in our English translations. But everything you see laid out here of how they operate and what this group does and the qualifications for the men that are selected are all consistent. What we'll see in just a minute of the qualifications for deacons in the church. Furthermore, it's really interesting in Acts when Luke is writing this, the word he picks for service here is the word that we get the English word deacon from. So he literally says in here, they are to deacon the tables. They are to serve the tables. So you see the, the, at least some form of the word deacon in here. So I believe this is a legitimate picture for us of what's going on. So Acts chapter 6, let's start in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they said, Please the whole gathering, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Then they set these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. What's going on here? You have this group called the Hellenists. They speak Greek. You have the Hebrews who speak Aramaic. 
there's a language barrier here. And as the widows were being fed, the daily distribution of food, as they shared life together, one of the groups was being overlooked. It wasn't intentional neglect, but there was a language barrier in the body. And because of the language barrier, there was a neglect being happening there. And so there's a, basically what you see here, there's a very, very real need in the body. There's a legitimate need that needs to be addressed here. And the disciples are made aware of this. The leaders of the church who were functioning more like elders at the time were made aware of this. And look at their response in verse 2. It sounds really harsh to us, but it's not. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, at first glance, that can rub us wrong, can it? Are these people too good for this? Are they better than doing this? Well, no, that's not what they're saying here on this. Giving out the food to the widows was a very good thing. But that was not their particular calling. Remember, God is the one who puts together different gifts and different callings within the body. And if these leaders of the church spend their whole day giving out food to the widows, then who's going to teach the word? Who's going to spend their day in prayer for the direction of the church? Who's going to shepherd with that? So we're not saying we're above this. We're just saying God has given distinct callings in the church. And our job right now, our calling by God, is to, is to study the word, to pray, and to, and to preach the word. And we can't do what God's called us to do. We can't, we won't, that's what we're being held accountable for. And we can't do that. And do this. Friends, it's just a human limitation for us. None of us can do everything, can we? Nor do none of us have all the gifts we need to lead the church. And they recognized what their primary calling was. They recognized their time limitations. And so what did they do? Well, verse 4, they, they, they focus on their priorities. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But they don't leave the widows without food. They said, this is what God's called us to do. So what else are we going to do? Well, let's form a new group of leaders in the church to meet this need. And this is the example for us of what the deacons do. The deacons come as a group to meet needs in the body to address those needs. Friend, that was a good idea then and now. Look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. This wasn't like a grumbling, like, oh, man, those people just want to study the Bible all day. They don't want to get their hands dirty. That's not how they saw it. The whole gathering saw this is God's good plan. These people who are gifted to shepherd, let's let them shepherd. And look, there's a whole group of men here that God has set apart who are gifted for serving. Let's let them serve and let's release people to use their gifts. And the whole gathering thought this was a good idea. And so what do we learn from this? What do deacons do? Deacons primarily meet tangible needs in the body. Whereas the elders are primarily tasked with shepherding and with equipping, the deacons are primarily tasked with meeting the needs of the body. And friends, this is a calling to relational ministry. This is not grunt work. This is a calling to relational ministry. This is a calling to community ministry. This is called the getting into people's lives so you know what's going on, so you know how to help. It's mobilizing the church to help one another and meeting the needs of the body. In Acts 6, the particular need they were addressing was serving the widows and making sure they have food. And today that still goes on. Deacons today still minister to widows. I'm blessed with the way that our deacons here at Gateway minister to some of the widows in our church. Deacons today minister to those who can't come, people who wish they could be here, but because of health reasons can't. Deacons still minister to them and meet that need for, for fellowship and companionship there. Deacons today help with benevolence. Friends, there are so many needs just in the neighborhood around us in this whole community. It can be overwhelming. And God has gifted particular men in this church to understand benevolence so they know how to help people with their financial and food needs here right around us in our neighborhoods around us. Deacons today identify the needs of the members, figure out what's going on in people's lives, and and help mobilize and connect people in the church to meet those needs. That's just some of the many ways that deacons can still live out Acts 6 today. And with that said, I hope you realize what an incredibly valuable role that is. It's just a different calling. Elders and deacons are both needed in the life of the body. There's a misnomer that floats around a lot of churches that somehow deacons are like a stepping stone to becoming an elder. That's just not true. Becoming an elder is not a promotion or going to be a deacon is not a demotion or the other way around. 
These are deacons and elders are equally valuable. They're part of the community that God has given to lead the church. And they have different callings and different giftings. And it is God's idea. God has given us a community of servant leaders to lead the church community. And look at what happens in the early church when they function this way. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What happened? The church grew. Obviously, God's sovereign over all that. We can't say if we structure a church a certain way that growth is going to happen. Growth is not a formula. But I do believe one thing that's happening here in the church, why God blessed the church at this point, is because they put in place structures to make sure that people were being fed physically and spiritually both. They were ready for God to send people to them because they had put the, the, the leaders in place to be able to disciple, to shepherd, and they had the leaders in place to meet the needs, and God blessed that. Well, that raises the question for us, who gets to serve in these leader teams? Who serves in this community of leaders, of elders and deacons? Well, thankfully, God's word's clear on that. So turn one more time, last one for the morning, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So go right a good ways over. And when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the qualifications for the men who will serve in this community of leaders in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is, is writing to Timothy and he's explaining about how the church is to be structured in a lot of ways. We call these the pastoral epistles because they're so rich in understanding the Christian life and so rich in understanding the church. And so go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll see in the first seven verses the qualifications for overseers or elders or pastors, one and the same. And then we see verses 8 through 13, the qualifications for deacons. Now, as we read these, I want you to listen for two things. First of all, listen for what's similar because there's a lot of similarities between the qualifications for deacons and elders. So listen for the same things that you'll see between this. But second of all, listen for what's different. Because there, is, there are a few differences between that list of qualifications. That helps us understand some of the calling and distinctives of how men lead in these two groups. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's start in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Now verse 8, qualifications for deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, and must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what do we see in these? What is the similarities for deacons and elders? What is the one thing that's common for both? I would simply phrase it this way, character matters. Bottom line, character matters. For a man to be able to lead in this community of leaders in the church as a deacon or elder, character matters. This is, you see this list of qualities that basically is about holy character. For instance, that's not just at church. You notice in both deacons and in elders, there's criteria for their home life as well. If a man is not living out holy character with his wife and his kids, he is not eligible to be a man who leads in the church. It starts at home. Men who don't walk with God in public, at work, and at home are not able by God's design to lead in the church. So character matters for both of those. But beyond that, there are some distinctives in this. 
Look at what's distinctive for the elders. I just want to highlight two things here in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and here you go, there's two important ones here, hospitable and able to teach. Think about those two requirements that you don't see in the list of criteria for deacons. Why is hospitality and ability to teach listed as an elder requirement? Well, think about their calling, the calling of elders to shepherd and to equip. If you're going to shepherd, you have to spend time with people. If you're going to spend time with people, that means opening up the doors of your home and showing hospitality. And so one of the God-given requirements to be a pastor, elder, overseer, bishop is you have to show hospitality because you have to be willing to get into people's lives and spend time with people and open up your home to them so you can shepherd them. Secondly, though, you see that right next to it, you must be able to teach. Because foundationally, the shepherd's shepherd, the elder's shepherd, by teaching the Word of God. And so to be an elder, you have to be able to show hospitality and you have to be able to teach God's Word well. But what about the deacons? There's an interesting one that's listed in the qualifications for deacons that's not listed in the qualifications for elders. Look at verse 8 here. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and then look at this, not greedy for dishonest gain. Why in the world are deacons told they're not supposed to be greedy? And elders aren't told that. Well, it's not the elders are off the hook like, oh, good, he can be greedy and be on the elder team, but he's greedy, so we can't let him be on the deacon team there. What's going on with this? Well, obviously greed is not appropriate in any believer's life. That is just common, what God requires as people. We're all to be giving. But why is this highlighted for deacons? Again, think of what the deacons are called particularly to do, to meet the needs of the body. To do that means they're going to be dealing with financial issues in people's lives, helping with the distribution of food, helping plan benevolence, how we help people with their needs. That means a man who's going to effectively do well at helping meet the needs of the body cannot be a man who's greedy because there's going to be a lot of things passing across his hands to help others in need. And so the requirement is added not to be greedy, but as well to not be greedy with time. Friends, our deacons spend so much time that you never see behind the scenes ministering to people, cutting their grass if they're hurt, taking care of the facility around here, visiting with with widows and others who aren't able to come with us on Sunday morning. That takes time. They can't be greedy with time because to be a deacon is giving of oneself in service to the Lord and to the body. And so that's added there as a requirement for them. Friends, God has given a community of servant leaders to lead the church community. They're to be holy men who love God and love people, and holy men who use their particular gifts to serve one another. Well, that leads to, as we close the morning, the question of how do we identify those men? Why are certain men set apart for this task? And how do we even identify them as such? Well, how do we identify them? That's your job. That's the job of the church. We're a congregational church. The job of the church is to identify the leaders and to set them apart for this. And so one of your tasks is to be looking for men who meet these criteria that we're talking about, who are gifted at at shepherding, who are gifted at equipping, and who are gifted at serving on this and to identify them. You look for men who walk with God. That's foundational. Men of character who seek after the Lord and walk in holiness. When you find men in the church who are gifted, who are walking with God in holiness, then you start looking at how are they gifted? Are they men who are gifted at teaching the word? Are they men who are gifted at shepherding and getting into people's lives and discipling people and helping one another grow spiritually? If so, start encouraging them to to pray about being an overseer, an elder. We identify men who are holy men who, who walk in holiness at home and at work in the church. And you see them constantly serving, meeting people's needs, helping with financial coaching, visiting, to the, visiting the widows in the church, helping people with their life problems, and just coming alongside people in these tangible ways, steer them and encourage them to pray about becoming a deacon. And friends, in both these things, what's important is we don't put men into these roles hoping they'll step up and serve. We find men who are doing it and then set them apart for that task. So this is not a, well, I hope he'll join our church and oh my goodness, he'd be a great tither so we need to get him involved in leadership here so let's bring him on. 
No, this is we look for people God in his sovereign plan has brought to the church. And we see them using their gifts and we see they have holy character. And therefore we release them and give them the title so they can have the opportunity to do it even more so. Look for the men doing that. And friends, that's exactly what we're doing as we begin our deacon election process. And your bulletin this morning is a list of inserts. It's about our deacon election process. If you didn't get one as you leave, they're on the back table and they're in the hallway out there. We're coming up to the process where we believe that we need additional deacons to serve the body here at Gateway. And we're not going to read through it now, but I'd encourage you as you get home with it to read over it. The whole front page explains to you how the deacon election process works here. It's going to point you back to these texts we've just looked at. And it's going to remind you about the necessity of character and the necessity of calling and gifting. And then on the back, it's going to, it gives you a list of names of men who are eligible to be considered for deacon here. These are men who have been a believer at least three years, who've been a member here at least one year. There's men who, I'm excited, will show up on the list next year because they've just joined in the last six to nine months who aren't eligible yet because of our bylaw requirements, but they're coming up for eligibility next year. And my encouragement to you is in light of what we're talking about, to pray over this. This is not a popularity contest. It's not, man, I want this guy to be more involved in the church. This is you looking over this list going, we have needs in the body. Who is God raising up here who can minister to the needs of the body here? And there's particular things that would be helpful. It would be really helpful in our deacon team to have someone who speaks Spanish so we can better partner with New Life in Christ, the Hispanic congregation that meets here to work with them. It would be really helpful to have on our deacon team another brother who really has a heart for the widows in our church to help us minister, minister to them. It would be really helpful in our deacon team to have a brother to come alongside us who really has a heart for ministering to the people who are not able to make it on Sunday morning through sickness or illness to go encourage them and bless them. There's many ways it would be helpful. My encouragement to you is you think about and you pray about the needs of the body here at Gateway as you know what's going on in people's lives. And you look on that list for men who you believe God is raising up who are walking in holiness at home, walking in holiness at work, walking in holiness here at the church, and have a heart to serve and pray about that. And then you nominate them and we'll begin the whole process. We'll send you more information about how that whole process works later on this week. And what about the men who really have a stirring in their hearts to want to teach and to be an elder? It says in 1 Timothy 3, 1 there, if anyone desires the office of overseer, desires a noble task. My encouragement to you is if you see men who really are gifted at this and, are, and who God is blessed with this, to come alongside them and encourage them in that. And ultimately to men who, who feel called to this, come talk to me and come talk to the other elders. Let us know that God is stirring your heart, that you desire to shepherd people. You desire to speak truth into their lives. And let us come alongside you and help you discover God's gifts and discover what that would look like. And as the body grows here and as the time comes where we need additional elders on our pastoral leadership team here, we want to be aware of who God is already moving and stirring and equipping for that particular role. Friends, God has given to this church and to all churches a community of servant leaders to lead the church community. And I hope you are thankful for our deacons and elders here. These are godly men who love the Lord, and my goodness, they make such a difference in this body, and I am blessed to come alongside them. And so my challenge for you as we come to a close today is twofold. First of all, be thankful. Be thankful for these deacons and elders. And Would you encourage them in this? Would you let them know you're grateful for them? These men serve faithfully to lead you and to lead this church well. But second of all, I want you to pray for them. I want you to come alongside them and continue to pray for God to be molding. The enemy attacks hard. If the enemy can bring the leaders down... He can bring a whole church down. And so the leaders of the church, deacons and elders, face so much opposition from the adversary. Because if he can destroy them, he can destroy the church. Would you commit to regularly pray for them to come alongside them? And would you pray as well for God to be raising up additional leaders in our church? Additional men who will shepherd well. Additional men who will serve well. Would you pray for God to be coming alongside and bringing these men up and training them for what is to come? But I've got a third challenge for you as well. I think I said two. I've got a third one for you as well. 
Would you shepherd these men as well? So often in the church world, deacons and elders are lonely. They're isolated from the church because they spend all their time speaking into the body, not having people speak into them. Friends, one of the most dangerous parts of pastoral ministry for elders or deacons is that we spend all of our time serving, teaching, giving, and no one is pouring back into their lives. And that's why so many ministers fall. That's why so many deacons burn out. That's why you see moral failure after moral failure among deacons and pastors alike across the churches of our land. Friends, like we saw in Philippians 1, they're to be with the community. And my plea to you and challenge to you in my own life and all the lives of our, the community of leaders here at Gateway is to come alongside us. Ask us the things we ask you. How is your walk with the Lord? How is your family doing? How can I pray for you? And you get invasive in our lives because that is your job as well. We are in this community together and we all desperately need each other. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for your word and I do thank you that you have revealed to us your plan for the church and how you want the church to operate. Lord, I am so grateful for the men who serve as elders and deacons alongside me here at Gateway. Lord, what a blessing we have that we have so many godly men who you've raised up to step up into leadership roles here at the church, to shepherd, to equip, to serve and meet the needs of the body. Lord, I pray for these men that you protect them from the attacks of the adversary. God, they'll be men who love you and love their families so well, there's no room for the enemy to get in and bring any, any destruction in their lives. Or would you guard them from the attacks of the adversary? And Lord, I pray even now you'd be raising up men in this congregation. Perhaps there's someone in this room who has never stepped up into one of these leadership roles, but you're stirring his heart today to realize, I really am gifted to serve the body. I want to be a deacon. I really am gifted to shepherd. I want to be an overseer. Lord, I pray you even begin that process for them. Lord, we trust that as you continue to send more people our way as a church body, we're going to need more leaders to equip, to shepherd, to serve. I pray even now you start preparing the hearts of some of the young men in the church, or perhaps even some of the older guys who've never stepped up into these roles to begin to see your calling upon their lives. Lord, ultimately our desire is for your will to be done. God, we confess this is your church, not ours. Lord, our prayer is your will would be done. Lord, for all of us in the body here, Lord, my prayer is that you would let us realize the church is your plan and your idea. Lord, I pray that one of the big takeaways for all of us today would be, Lord, do you love the church? You've spent such time in your word revealing to us your plan for who's to serve and how they're to serve. Well, that's not by accident. It's because you love your body and you want your body to live together in community. God, I pray we would treasure that and value that. Would you increase our love for living together as the body of Christ and the church? Would you stir our hearts to grow us? Lord, even as you've been stretching us over the last five weeks in biblical community, God, I pray you'd be stretching us to better understand how we live together as your people Lord, like we saw last week, we might be a light to the lost world all around us who desperately needs the hope of the gospel. Lord, as we do so, I pray what we saw in Acts 7 might be true for us as well. That you would be drawing people to yourself, and Lord, that we would get the joy of seeing you bring non-believers into the kingdom. Drawing the lost to yourself. Lord, we want to be your vessels, whatever that looks like. Or whether we're a small group leader, a greeter, whether we're someone who just is your ambassador at our workplace or school, or if you could raise up some of us to be elders and deacons. We just all want to be found faithful. God, you've given everyone here at Gateway a spiritual gift. God, I pray every single one of us in this church might be found faithful to use it for the good of your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, I pray as we go throughout this day and this week ahead, God, that you'd stir our hearts to the things of you. Lord, you'd have your way in our midst. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?